Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Stonians? I'm Mark Marin. Welcome to my show. I'm sorry I'm a little beat up. I'm a little strung out. I've had a long day. I'm recording this a bit earlier than I usually do in terms of the day I do it. It's in the evening. It's late at night as I record this. I've just shot uh, a full day of Marin. We just got done with our second day. I'm a little out of my mind. I'd forgotten what it's like to shoot 12 hours, 13 hour days of television. I'm very excited to be doing it. I do get cranky towards the end of the day, but today was sort of a bit of an emotionally taxing day in a good way. I'll tell you about it in a second. My guest on today's show is Andrea Martin. You might know her from Broadway theater. You might know her from SCTV. You might know her from some of her film roles. She's got a memoir out called Lady Parts. It's available now wherever you get your books. She's an amazing woman and an amazing talent. And I love her. And I loved watching her as a kid on SCTV and whenever I see her. And I saw her right here in my garage sitting right across from me. It was tremendous. And I'll be sharing that with you minutes from now. But let's talk about me for one second. As I talked about the other day, what was that, Monday, about gratitude and about thinking about your life and realizing on some level that this is it, this is all you got, you better make the best of it because I don't know, I I can't confirm that there's anything other than this. And even if there is something other than this, it might not feel like you think it will feel. That's the weird thing about metaphysics and the idea of an afterlife or uh, uh, an ever after or a happy place or a heaven or a hell or whatever. Those are all things that can be conceived within the human imagination, whatever it is, floating on stars or clouds or playing harps or being able to have angels wings or just a weird sort of fun cottony place or a burning fire where everything melts and your penis is always on fire. And and you you have uh, you, your your head has got a, a rod through it, and it's being used as some sort of uh, mallet on a xylophone of other people's hate and pain. Sorry, this is just an improv an improv hell. 
those are all things that the human imagination can wrap up. But maybe there's a frequency. Maybe I don't know. But let's say that you die and it's just sort of whatever it is, even if it's the most amazing thing in the world, you don't have consciousness. So it has no bearing on what your ego can manufacture in the present time frame to make yourself feel special. If you can dig what I'm saying, kitties. But I got a little, it was a long day and I got a little cranky. It was also emotionally taxing, as I said before, in a good way. And I'll tell you about that because of some people I worked with. It was guys I worked with. I worked with my old friend, Rick Shapiro, who I've known seemingly, it seems about half my life. He's a rare talent. He's a one and only. He's an authentic, an American original, a true uh, freedom-loving lunatic. And by freedom, I mean aesthetic freedom. Complete freedom of mind, balls to the walls, nutty freedom. That is Rick Shapiro. Rick Shapiro was a force of nature, still is. Love the guy. He was on my show last year. He played my uh, kooky neighbor, my disturbing neighbor with a gun and a story to tell, Bernie. He is doing that role again. He's back. And Rick has been battling a very courageous battle with parkinson's disease and i gotta tell you he was better this year than he was last year that's how great he's doing but it's very emotional it's very emotional to work with rick because we have such a long history but it's also emotional to work with rick in in this slightly different state and he's very emotional because of the state that he's in and it was just it was a profound amazing scene we're just doing this thing we were doing and i felt like crying So there's something that happens sometimes when you can, you know, hire somebody that you love or hire somebody that you know in a long time. I got people on the show that I've known for years and it's just beautiful. So I work with Rick and that was emotionally taxing in a very good way. And then later in the afternoon, Andy Dick comes because I'm doing a scene with him. Yeah, he's on the show too. And if I I could think of two more boundaryless, beautiful people to do scenes with (laughs) that might just completely drained me of my emotions in a good way it would be andy dick and rick shapiro and we had a great time andy's a riot had a great time with him he's doing very well he's on the up and up he's clean and sober he's fucking hilarious we had a great time today i you know i guess what i'm saying is i'm having a good time shooting my show and it's going very well so far that's what i'm telling you that's what i have to report all right and be grateful and don't worry about heaven and hell let's just assume it's a completely different consciousness or part of a different consciousness that's a bigger consciousness and we won't even register it we're already doing it we're already part of it it's already happening it's over and it's beginning holy god must be bullshit day it's truly an honor my friends truly a a, a, an honor and and was a tremendous uh, joy to talk to the one and only Andrea Martin. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or 
needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. So you don't live here at all? You did you did live here? I lived here for 18 years, yeah. I and bought, then you ran away? Kind of. You had enough? I'd had enough from the moment I got here, but I lasted <laughs> for 18 years. Because I just had, uh, who was just here? Jason Schwartzman was here. Aww. And he's like, I went to school with her kids. That's so cool. Jason, he played my son. Did he tell you that? Oh, what yeah, on a TV show, right? Yeah. Yes, on a show. Right. Cracking up. I right, think. that's right. Yeah, he did mention that. He's so talented. He's How's a, he doing? He seems well. He's an interesting guy. He is interesting. He's a very sweet man. He and yet kind of quirky, quirky. He's very quirky. Bit. Seems genuinely curious about things. Yeah. Not much ego that I could detect. Interesting. Yeah. Like, you know, he seemed pretty much what he is. I haven't interviewed a lot of the SCTV people, though. No. I mean, just you and Catherine. And Ivan Reitman wasn't really part of it, but he was around, right? Oh, but Ivan Reitman gave me my first role in a movie called Foxy Lady, in which I appeared semi-nude. Really? Uh-huh. Has anyone clipped it on YouTube? You cannot find it. And I <laughs> called Ivan to see if we could get it. And he said, it's down in the bowels of my basement. Nobody's seen it. It was his first film. And then Eugene Levy and I yeah. did a movie called Cannibal Girls that Ivan um, directed. And we kind of improvised the entire film. And we won the uh, Best Actor and Actress Award at the International Horror Film Festival, which I always thought was a joke until one desperate, lonely bad day I, maybe maybe there is that award and i googled it and it still exists <laughs> and you have one i do <laughs> so you knew so ivan like the canadian thing though it's but you're not from there no i'm from maine maine what part of maine portland you grew up in portland maine i did and that was a while back I'm not okay. Come, all right, all right, relax. Gee, that just hurt. Re- no, just relax. I'm, I'm worried now because I'm wearing my glasses. If no, I had no, makeup without no one glasses, can see. No, you look beautiful. <laughs> you look great. But I can't imagine what Portland was like because I I started doing comedy in that area. Oh, in, really? Like, where regionally, are you from? I, you... in Boston is where I started doing comedy. I you probably, didn't go to Emerson, did you? No, but I have a lot of friends who went to Emerson. That's where I went. A lot of friends who went to Emerson. I didn't even know it was. Uh, now I'm going to do it again. I did. <laughs> Was it was it the same? You type didn't know of- it existed, <laughs> Mark. If I hadn't traveled seven hours to get here, I literally would be walking out the door. Um, yes, Emerson's been around for a long time in speech and communication, but now it's like a crazy. But great that's what I mean. Was it was school. it a you know like it seems like a lot of comedy people like there's specific programs for comedy and for sketch. And now for I think when right, I went there, I mean. you literally got a degree in speech and what was I going to do with that? With right. I got a degree in speech and drama. But, but let's but, talk about Maine for a minute. Yeah, yeah. Maine, Maine is beautiful. And in but what was your what was the family like? Do you have brothers and sisters? I do have a brother and a sister. I'm the oldest. I grew up in an Armenian household. Really Armenian? Hundred percent. Wow. Aren't you? You're near Glendale, aren't you? The hub yeah. of Armenian yeah. population. Yeah, and that, and that, that's either a good thing or or a difficult thing. It depends. <laughs> 
how you're coming at it is very insulated and you definitely feel in some when you go to Glendale sort of like well I'm an outsider here do you really a little bit oh I'm gonna go if I need my self-esteem boost do you speak Armenian no huh now I'll really be uh, ostracized. Is that a word? Yeah, sure. Okay, good. But like Armenian, like what generation? Your, your my parents? Gra- my grandparents were born in Turkey. Yeah. And um, like many Armenians, and they were, during the genocide in 1915, yeah. they left. And my Got grandfather out. did, yeah. And um, migrated to Maine, where there was this, the Red Cross that established a small, safe enclave for Armenians. And my uh-huh. grandfather came, then he brought my grandmother, who was 15 at the time. They had seven children, very, very poor, great, extreme poverty. Yeah. My father was Armenian. His yeah. parents died when he was 13, had no education, became a highly successful businessman with grocery stores and restaurants. My mom had no education. And I think growing up and wanting to be an actress was about as far away as any reality that generation of Armenians, they they were born in Maine, And they right? just had to work for everything. Yeah. So what, what business did your father end up in? Grocery stores and restaurants. So you grew up in restaurants and grocery stores? I did. Did you work in restaurants? I worked in the grocery store. I wrapped produce for many, many summers. Couldn't it have been more miserable. It, I'm sure. Uh, wrapping produce and singing Broadway tunes. I got to wash <laughs> that man right out of my hair. Dancing, you know, those are the days of American Boy. Yeah. I am, now I'm like Sophie Tucker. Yeah. Those were the days. Yeah. Um, I watched American Bandstand all the time. Right. You're too young to know American Bandstand. But I Bandstand. have, uh, I've seen, I've seen tape. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so you were like this singing kid rapping chickens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and all the people in the neighborhood thought Produce. you were- They didn't let me near the uh, no poultry. No. no. <laughs> Salmonella. But they let me near the produce. I could wrap a mean head of lettuce. But was it like a, an intimate kind of, like, did you know everybody in the neighborhood? I mean, was it that small or was it already, like, because Portland's a, a larger city in Maine, but it wasn't, it's not huge. No, it's not huge. And I did know the community, but yeah. I, I didn't really feel like I fit in. You know, I'm, Why, you know, I'm you were, Armenian and yeah. they're, but, um, I had lots of friends, and I was the homecoming queen in spite you of were? all of it. I was. Did you do theater in high school? I did, yes. My first professional show was when I was 13 in South Pacific. I played Liat. They ca- <laughs> It was an, a, a New York touring company, yeah. and they had to cast small parts in, in, in when they toured, and so they gave me the part of Liat because being an Armenian was the closest they were going to get to a Polynesian princess. In Arme- in, in, uh, <laughs> and that got me started, yeah. And they were doing the singing. And yeah, everything. singing, singing. But well, you know, she she had to um, pantomime happy talk, happy talk, keep talking, happy talk. I still remember the choreography. You do? Yeah, I do. You yeah. could do the dance right now. I could. Wouldn't, it wouldn't be effective on radio, but I, I appreciate. Not that unless you I can. grunt while I'm doing it. Oh, <laughs> hey, oh damn it! Oh, I used to be able to lift my leg. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so, but so, how do you get from Maine to you? Okay, so you went to Emerson, so you went to Boston, mm-hmm. and you you had convinced your parents that that entertainment was a viable thing. Somehow, I don't think I ever convinced my parents, but because I w- w- made a living fairly early on doing um, performing in the theater, yeah, yeah, that I was self supporting, and um, after and- college or before college, I did summer stock in the in the summers, and then when I went to college. I um, graduated from college in 1969. Oh my God! Now I now I actually am Sophie Tucker. 
Yeah, what is that song she sings? One of these days, you're gonna miss me, honey. Um, I graduated in 1969. I went directly to New York City. I got one of those industry newspapers called Show Business. There's two of them, yeah. backstage and show business. Right. And they have open calls. And right. for your listeners, that means if you're not part of the union equity, yeah. anybody can go to an open call. But 69 must have been crazy. There must have been like, you know, they're just hippies. The culture's exploding. Everything's exciting. Not if you're a musical comedy <laughs> <laughs> that remained the same for decades <laughs> nothing has changed no but i was, had tunnel vision right so yeah. i did wasn't really um paying attention affected to the, so the much culture right. at large not so much Get until i saw stage. until i saw janice joplin in baltimore maryland most amazing you did i did and then she died two days later that's when i was doing you're a good man charlie brown and i was doing it in baltimore we were that was the first so where i went so i went to audition I graduated in 69. I went to New York and two weeks later. I was cast as Lucy and your good man, Charlie Brown. And then I became part of that touring company. We toured all over in 1970. I saw okay. Janis Joplin in Baltimore in 1970. Wow. And then very soon afterwards, she died. So, so you saw her. That yes. must have been astounding. Two con- I've, I've seen three live concerts in my life. In your life? That meant something to me. Okay. And I'm going to tell you what they are. I'm ready. Janis Joplin. Yeah. Bob Dylan and Bette Midler. Really informed. When did you see Bob they, Dylan? They, in, you know, in that period, in the really? 70s, 71s. Yeah, yeah. And Bette Midler, that, I mean. Bette Midler, she, she was I at Massey Hall in Toronto. Her. I am friends with her. Yeah. And Bob Dylan stayed in my home in Toronto when he was making a movie. He did? Yeah. And when I came back to the home, there were marijuana burns in every part of my quilt that I never threw away because Bob Dylan burned them. So he was just smoking weed in bed. That's it. And the only albums that were out of my um, section of albums were his. <laughs> no, come on. I swear to God. Sitting around listening to his own records well, smoking weed. Well, somebody was. That, well, that, <laughs> I, I think that- I, I think a lot of people have done that in their lives, sure. haven't they? Yeah. So how, how did Bob Dylan find his way to your house? I think that I must have, you know, I was traveling back and forth, and so mm-hmm. Kathy Bates stayed there. I think I had a rent, it was a long time ago, but I think I had some rental thing, renting it for a lot of money to very high-profile people. It was a beautiful house. Oh, so you just, like, when you weren't there, they'd rent it out. Exactly, yeah. And Bette Midler, where did you see her? Oh, what Bette, year was no, that? Bette I knew, oh my gosh, I met through Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman, and, uh, oh, and I did Gypsy with her, that's right. I did Gypsy. I did the, the made-for-TV movie Gypsy. But when you saw her the first time, yeah. was, was it back in the 70s? Yes, she, yes, yeah. Extraordinary. She must have been just a force Amazing of live performance. No, no one ever been like her. No, like she reinvented something. She did. Yeah. And no so, one has been like her because the, the audacity, the connection with the audience, and the tenderness with which she sang mm-hmm. juxtaposed with a crazy, no-holes-barred vulgarity. I mean, there was never that kind of combination. Yeah, she just, was just a, beautiful. A great showman. Yes. Menacing Semitic sexuality. (laughs) That's That's good. (laughs) I'll take it. Why doesn't somebody introduce me like that? As opposed to Perky. The Perky Andrea Martin. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. So how do you... Okay. So you go from Maine and then you go to Emerson and you study speech. Was it very dry? I mean, was it like, what is a... What was the degree like there? What was it like? First, I went to Stevens College in Missouri because I wanted to be very far away from home. I got kicked out of Stevens College and I went to Emerson. I wasn't very good being in Boston, so I went to the Sorbonne. Um, I don't know, actually. Yeah. I guess I had my sights on something 
less New Englandy. So I went to because I too you much know, like Maine. Yeah, there you go. So yeah. then I went to Paris and I studied the Sorbonne my third year. Then I went for back. a year. I did. Yeah. What did you study there? French. Just French? Yes. No mime or anything? Mime came up later. It did. Somebody's read a book. No, I didn't read a book. How do you know mime? What do you mean? Mime's from France. I did. I studied with Jacques Lecoq. You did? That's not his real name. His real name is Reggie Lecoq. Okay, what a, <laughs> why? <laughs> I did. You I did studied, st- Yeah, I did. I went back. To, to Paris? Uh-huh. To study mime? I did. I've always loved the circus. Really? So how old were you when you did that? Let me see. Was that after college? You, you took time away to study mine. That was after I graduated. I moved to Toronto, and I then I took a year off to study mine. Yes. Because so you were always like uh, it was always stage with you. I mean, wasn't you know you were not looking to be film actress. You wanted to be on stage. Yeah, I don't know if you grow up in Portland, Maine, and you think in that generation now yeah. people grow up really with goals and insight. <clears throat> but when I was growing up in Portland. Um, I didn't have goals like that. One thing just led to another. But movie stars seem like a, an easy fantasy to have. But you, but oh, you mean in terms of? I guess it wasn't my fantasy. I guess you, I didn't have a fantasy to be honest with you. But you, I just auditioned and then I got a part and then that led to something else. I know it sounds strange to talk like that. Yeah. But uh, honestly, I do think that the a gener this generation yes. really has attainable goals and at their hands because they know how to act. They know how to actualize them with all the social media. They can get an instant right. kind of thing. But right. that wasn't what the, my case was. But you wanted to perform I did want to perform I like performing and one thing led to another but it wasn't like I woke up in the morning and thought now let's see in five years I hope I'm starring on Broadway that's not what happened yeah and then I think actually Mark that my career might have been um, I don't know although I think I've had a good career but maybe I would have done more if I actually had put goals in sight but that's not how it's been yeah do you have regrets like that no. I, yeah, I don't. I can't think that way. I really have. You drive me nuts. Enormous gratitude for still working. Yeah, you're working a yeah. lot. I yeah. mean, you work constantly. Yeah. So okay, so you're you did summer stock before college, and you're in college, and you're already working, and you're doing touring shows. <laughs> yeah. So you're working actress. Yeah. And you're and you're performing in these what dinner theaters and whatnot. And then I came back to Toronto. Yeah, but wait, how do we get to Toronto? When did that happen? Oh, because you're a good man, Charlie Brown. Um, the boy played Linus was from Toronto, and mm. I played Lucy. So yeah. Lucy sleeping with Linus. Right. Charles Schultz would have been mortified. But <laughs> yeah. what's <laughs> so what happens on the back of a tour bus stays on the back of a tour bus. Then I so I would go. I'd get my unemployment check in New York. I'd go. I went to back to New York after yeah. the tour. Didn't like New York. Very scared there. D- felt like um, I was just a, a real small fish in a very big this pond. This is like 1970? Yeah, yeah, 1970. It's a little dicey in New York then. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. It's scary. And so I'd cash my unemployment check for $78. And um, that's how much it used to cost to go to, from New York to Toronto. I remember that price. $70? $78. Exactly. Yes. Exactly the cost of my unemployment check. And I go and visit him. I, I love Toronto. I, my, great city. I, I did. And so I stayed there for 18 years. My book is dedicated to Canada, to Canada where it all began, my career, my marriage, my children, Justin Bieber. It all began. But there. you didn't marry that guy. I didn't marry Justin Bieber. He no, no he's very, very young. But you do talk <laughs> about dating a younger man That's for a while. That's true. But, but you're, so you're in Toronto, but you didn't marry Linus. I didn't marry Linus, no. no. But you hung out with Linus, and yeah. this is you. You consider your show business career starting in Canada? I really. do. I do consider that. And yeah. what was the first thing? The very first thing I did was Godspell with. This is a big show. 
legendary company of Godspell. Yeah, Cat. this changed a lot of people's lives. It really did. So here's the cast. Marty Short, Eugene Levy, Gilda Radner. Um, Paul Schaefer was our music director. Victor Garber was our Jesus. That's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. How all of those uh, these primary people have gone on to such amazing and careers. all still good friends. Then we went on to do SCTV together. And Garber wasn't in that though. No, was... but he's a really, really because one of my closest friends. We talk every day. He's an interesting guy. I don't know anything about him, but I think he's a great actor. Great human being too. Yeah. Wonderful. He's we're a, all very close. We just did a spread in Vanity Fair. Eugene, Victor, myself, and Marty. Uh, an excerpt from his book, and so it was like all of us. How how we were still friends. It's a beautiful picture. So I can't imagine you all as kids because you're kind of kids at that time. Yeah. Just like I can't like you and Marty with just that energy combined at you know in your twenties. <laughs> yeah. It must have been fucking crazy. Well, we certainly had energy, and we still have energy. <laughs> yes, you do. Yeah, we do. It's amazing. Yeah. So now we I, still talk. We talk about that all the time. And Gilda was Canadian, or no? Gilda was from Detroit, right? But she moved up there, yeah, to do Second City or to. Like, now that is a good question. Marty would be able to tell you because Marty dated her. Why did she come up to Toronto? And that's what Catherine O'Hara saw that show and it changed her life, right? That's right. So how does that? How do you? What are the opportunities that come out of that Godspell show? Gosh, well, for me, there were many. I really like never Like right stopped. at the beginning. Right at the beginning. So I think um, I did Foxy Lady with Ivan Reitman. I did a variety show with Lorne Michaels and Hart Pomerantz. All right. What's that? What was that called? The Hart and Lorne Terrific I'm a little, Hour. I'm a little obsessed with Lorne. So tell me. <laughs> wait, no, no. I mean, like, I can't imagine him as a young man. Now, you know, so he. a lot of people don't know that he was doing comedy and variety before he became this mythic uh, you know, mogul or whatever yeah, yeah, the hell, yeah, this yeah. inspiration, this Buddha, this this larger than life person. So impresario, he, yes. he was like Diaghilev. Too. Yeah, yeah. So what was that show? What was so that heart? was a sketch the show? The hard and terrible. The, what was ter- it? Terrific, terrific hour. hour. Yeah, terrific hour. Sorry. That's funny. Yeah. Um, it's it was like many variety shows in that in that time. You know, Robert Klein had a variety show. David Steinberg had a variety show. So what was it? And then Laugh In. So they mm-hmm. were kind of like. Um, so it was, not, it was sort of that format, that but format. it was Canadian. Exactly. So they were co-hosting it. They were a comedy team. Yep, they were a Lauren, comedy team. And they throw to sketches. That's exactly right. And when you met Lauren Michaels at that time, yeah. What was your impression of him? Um, somebody um, serious with a great business sense who wasn't necessarily funny, but mm-hmm. understood it. So he was the straight man, I'm taking yes. it? Yes. <laughs> that was a very diplomatic answer. So <laughs> I'm assuming- Well, I still have hopes of being on Saturday Night Live before I'm dead. I don't want to- <laughs> Do you maintain a relationship with that guy? You know, I haven't seen him for many years, but he's so connected to so many of my friends. I feel like he is in my life, but I actually haven't but seen him. But was it one of those, was it a point of contention that you were never on SNL? Did you, were you brought in? Were you considered? Was there I early mean, on? There might've been a consideration. I don't really understand it. You know, I was thinking the other day, what would be, it, what are two, because everybody asks you, you know, what what haven't you done that you right. would still like to do? And I'm always like, I ah, don't ask me that. I should have been. Why didn't I know? But, you know, I was thinking the other day, what are two things that I would like to, to do before I'm di- before I die? And one is to be involved in Saturday Night Live just in some way, a sketch, host, whatever, and to go back and do another um, David Letterman show because I did so many of them in the past. Yeah. I'd love to get an opportunity one more time before he goes off the air. Well, 
Why you should get that? Yeah. Why tell them? Don't tell. Let's talk. <laughs> well, let's make a call. I mean, those are those are small little things, but it feels like they they need to have closure. I guess. Yeah. Why? But I think that's uh, he should be able to do that for you. We'll see what happens. Wait. Well, I mean, now that I'm on your show, yeah, I have this, some cachet. Everything's going to turn around after this, Andrea. <laughs> I have Andrea. some hip this cachet. Gonna... <laughs> <laughs> Look at. I had an opening last night at Pippin. I'm talking to you. I have a book out. I'm about to start a movie. Night in the music. Look, it's a, it's a lovely time in my life. Great. But I had to switch gears at a certain point, Mark. I had to really when I reached 65. I'm 67 now, because I was, was saying no to a lot of things, and it wasn't bringing me any joy. And who the hell cared if I was? So you think people out there are like, oh, Andrea Martin said no to that career offer. <laughs> Nobody gives a shit what yeah. I'm doing. That's another thing that really keeps you sane. Every time you think somebody's thinking about you, tr- trust me, they got other things to think Themselves. about. Oh my God, hundred yeah. percent. So that was a relief, reassuring, you know. So at sixty-five, I just jumped on the S train. I said, "Life is too short." Yeah. And what am I going to do? Reinvent myself at sixty-seven? Am I going to pick the right career? Am I going to pick the right project that now proves to everybody? No. First of all, nobody's looking for proof. Second of all, let me just keep working and making myself happy, making a few people happy. But you don't feel like you've made your mark on some level? On some level, I do for sure. But I'm also a realist. Yeah. I know I know what it takes to sell a book. I yeah. know that I'm not on a hit TV show. Do I know that Amy Poehler and Marty and Neil Patrick Harris yeah. and Alan Cumming and Lena Dunham, who have fabulous shows on the air and yeah. are highly visible, are going to sell more books? You bet. Do I, you know, I did my one person. I'm glad show. it doesn't bother you. What am, what's, what am I going to do? Yeah. Nothing. You, you know, know, it frustrates good. me. I wouldn't be talking about you on the air. I wouldn't be taking your precious time talking about yeah. my pretend like it doesn't bother me tri- diatribe. <laughs> but like, okay, so let's go back to, to like these defining times. Because like in, in SCTV for a lot of my generation, for people that come to it later, for like for people who are who've been on SNL or people who've been in movies like yourself, I mean, this was a fucking amazing show. And how did that sort of happen? So you did the two movies with Ivan Reitman. Yeah. You did Godspell. You did a, a what did you do a bit on Lauren show? Uh, you, like it was one show. How many? I, you know, I can't remember how many I did actually, because I was doing a lot of the, the there was variety was really big in that in that era, era of the seventies. So I was on Robert Klein shows, on David Steinberg show. And I was, was Robert Klein in Canada. He, he did his show out of can. No, no, no. He did it. My gosh, thank you. He did it out of where I think Saturday Night Live is on NBC. That studio, right? I don't know why I, but I was on his show. David Steinberg was out of Toronto, right? Because he's Canadian. Oh. Gosh, I did so many of those things with Dick Cavett and Alan King and all those wonderful John Stewart when he was just starting out and Bob, what is his name? Bob, he now does sports announcing. No. Costas? Oh, Bob Costas. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, they all had talk shows that were, had a lot of people in variety on them and SCTV was yeah. big. And so, yes, I've been with some great people because of SCTV for sure. Well, how did that, how did SCTV start? So out of Second City. So after I'd done a lot of theater in Toronto and um, dinner theaters, you're right, and musicals, uh, there were auditions for Second City. Someone asked me to audition. Gilda was doing it then. Was it when the the Second City opened in Toronto? Yes, it was the second company of Gilda and... I'm going to get all these names wrong. Brian Doyle Murray, I think Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd were part of the first company. Okay. I'm sure I've got some names wrong and forgive me out there, but um, I know Gilda was. Yeah. 
because I remember seeing her when I was in John the audience. Candy? John I don't I don't know if John was in there. He was in the company I was you were in. in. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the so when they started in in Toronto, yeah. Those are the the Murray brothers and Gilda. Yeah. And uh, who was the other one? Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. So they were the ones you remember. Yeah. 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 And, and this, I remember sitting in the audience and watching Gilda, and I'd never seen anybody that could do that physical comedy and be so feminine. Um, she just reminded me of Lucille Ball. I've yeah. never seen anybody that could do that. Yeah. It was extraordinary. And this was see. after you worked with her. After, after, I, Godspell. after Godspell, you got it. Yeah. But that was all scripted. So. That was all scripted. But this was real sketch, and she was get to be her own personality. She didn't have to fit into any groove. It was it was magical, really, to see that. Yeah. That, yeah. Like yeah. seeing Janice? Yeah. <laughs> a little bit a lo- a lower, less drugs involved, sure. I think. Yeah. Sure, but but just like, oh my God, this person's a force, and did there's it, nobody did like it inform her. me? You're absolutely right. I guess in some way it was different because Janis Joplin had nothing to do with my world. She right. was a rock musician, but Gilda was a comedian. And right. so I probably felt pangs of competition or sure. maybe excitement or let me get a stab at this. So I did audition for it. But first you did, you actually just did live stuff at, at the company. City. Yeah, yeah. And that was mostly improv or, or mostly sketch or as a mixture of stuff? So the, the format of Second City is always a scripted show and then the last half hour is improv and that improv turns into the next scripted show and that's how it works. And wh- how many of the characters that you, like of the dozens you do, Yeah. like which one was there all the way through? Edith Prickley was there all the way through because of Catherine O'Hara. Yeah. So we had an, a... um. One night, there was a suggestion from the audience that we do a parent-teacher conference in which the parents were parents of delinquent kids. Uh-huh. And we said, okay. So we ran backstage. And w- uh, the idea of Second City is to bring in cost, you know, clothes from Salvation Army or home or whatever and have them back there as a, as a, um, a, a closet for characters. Yeah. That you're gonna so Catherine had brought in her mother's faux leopard skin jacket and hat from the 50s. And it was back there amongst all the clothes. But I saw the leopard when I thought of delinquent kids. Yeah. All right, parents. And I put it on and put on the hat and I found some black rim glasses and there was some red lipstick that I smeared on. I didn't even know who the character was. Right. And I knocked on the teacher door, the door of the teacher's conference. And yeah. Catherine was a teacher and yeah. she opened the door and she said, hello, you must be Mrs. Prickly. <laughs> and I said, that's right, dear. Edith's the name. Sebastian's the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then Catherine reminds me that she tried different names yeah. every week, but yeah. he, but Mrs. Prickly was the that one that stu- stuck. That stuck? Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. And like when you were like, so you didn't know Catherine until you were on the, in the in the troupe? Right. And she's, Catherine's a lot younger. So um, I think she's eight years younger than I am. So I didn't, I, we didn't travel in the same circle. Because the two of you together is hilarious. I love her. Because like, it, like there's two different types of like this comic energy. You, 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 like all of you have, that's the, the thing that you can't really, I can't put my, my finger on really or, or wrap my brain around. Like if I ask actors, well, what is, what is your process? Yeah. I don't fucking know. You is know, that what gonna, they say? Well, I mean, ultimately, you know, you're going to train, you can do this, you can do that, but it's going to come from, it's all sort Serving whatever's inside of you mm-hmm. that is sort of unexplainable mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but like as time goes on and it seems like people that come from second city and people that come from that kind of background doing several characters that there's some sort of weird constant there there's ah. this comedic spirit uh-huh. that 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 exists and yeah. that that you can always sort of see with with any of them with gilda with you with uh, Catherine, with uh, with flaherty even and, and like candy yeah. like there's this force 
that just lives on stage. I think that's right. I think it's cellular. And I think yeah. it's like a little giggle that's inside that's always wanting to burst open. Right. That's, it's always kind of titillating. Yeah. And with that combination of people, we brought those little giggles out. That sounds so sophomoric to say giggles. But I feel like there's a. it's like Alka-Seltzer. It's like constantly fizzing away. You know, yeah. okay, and now this person's going to make it really come to the top. Yeah, and yeah. That's how we served one another. Everyone so, fizzles at a different level. That's right. But we were hel- we were that we were helping each other's fizzle fizzle yeah so who in that cast so it was you and Catherine and john came candy was there yes for sure and like it's it's weird to me that there's always like there's the, there's this history of like large personalities that mm. come out of second city you know like like belushi or or um chris farley chris farley yeah. but they're it's almost like they cast them where's our big guy i know but you know john i think what's so tragic about John's death besides that he's not here is that I really think his career would have um, expanded. Sure. He was a beautiful dramatic actor and I can only imagine that at one time he wouldn't be big that he would uh, be on a diet or lose weight sure. he'd still be, and it's not like he had to rest on being overweight no no that yeah. wasn't what right uh, yeah but he was the personality he, oh well, for sure everything was big about john 100 yeah, percent. Yeah. yeah 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 and he was like that when he was a kid like when you knew him i mean I, you guys yes, are in your 20s was, john candy was exactly the person you think he is yeah is who he was right there's no filter. Yeah. Just everything you can imagine about John is who he was. Yeah. And and you loved him. Loved him. Yeah. So loved sad. him. Yeah. I loved I love all all of the you know, we're very close. We we Catherine was at Pippin last night, Marty was, Eugene's kid Eugene Levy's kids because he was in Toronto. Um Kath, uh, Marty's kids. Uh, I, you know, we're we're um, very connected. Still. Yeah, very. Yeah, I don't hear that a lot. You know, no. like, because, like, you know, I'm sort of a, as a fan and as somebody who, who's sort of isolated, I always make these assumptions that, like, oh, you're still in touch with someone. They're like, no, I'm, I haven't talked to them in a while. You know, like, Ooh. that happens a lot. You know, you yeah. make these assumptions because of the emotions you've invested in somebody's work with other people or, uh, or yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you just want everybody to be pals. Well, I think we are. I just did a book signing at Santa Monica Library and um, Marty was there as my special guest. And then I was talking about something and um, Marty said, well, why don't you ask Catherine? I said, Catherine? And Catherine was in the back row and then she came up and <laughs> the, then we started, you know, it's... um. Oh my gosh, jarring, I don't know. Jarring memories. It's like beautiful. Yeah. You know, we see each other a lot. So right. it's not like anything has to be jarred, believe right. me. <laughs> you know, we're you know, I know we, we know everything that's going on in everybody's yeah. lives and um you know, we hang out and yeah. So all right, so out of the stage show. Yeah. Wh- who's the, whose ideas is who brings the TV show together? Oh gosh. Okay. I believe yeah. that it was Joe and Joe Harold, yeah, and Harold Ramis and Andrew Alexander, a wonderful producer. And we took it; they took it to this. They called us all in, and we brainstormed what the show should be. They sold it to the CBC, uh, Canadian Broadcasting Company. We did it there, and then NBC bought it. I know everything as I'm saying to you right now is factually incorrect because I'm so bad. I like that you're with, saying it with confidence. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, and yeah. The, a loud projection. 100 percent factually incorrect. Completely, but but, it's, but I'm going to continue <laughs> because something in there is the truth. Sure. And you know that I mean well. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's all that's important. <laughs> she means well. Kind of got some of the facts for her. But uh, all right. So so you do how many seasons? How many shows? Do you like Seven it? years we did. 
Jeez. Yeah. Because I remember watching it when I was a kid, you yeah. know, like, and, and it was like exotic somehow. Was it? Yeah. Because Wait, no, it where, was, do you, where were you living when New you were Mexico? watching it? When you were watching SCTV? So I was, yeah. So wow. it was on, so it must have been on NBC, I guess, then. Late. That's very unusual for, were you, were you in the music world? No, or I was were, a kid. You, but, so, wow. I was a big comedy fan. Oh, big comedy fan. Yeah. Okay. So... Because most people were either on in New York or Los Angeles that watched the show that light, night that late, or they were um, musicians doing drugs, or I guess comedy fans. Judd Apatow, I, I don't know if you're the same age, but he was a, yeah, about, a big fan when he was a young kid, yeah, too, because he loved comedy. Exactly. Fascinating. And my, my, my parents used to let me watch Stay Up to watch SNL. So like I don't even remember where it fell on the schedule. Was it actually after SNL? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So it was like this weird it's like thing. One to one, yeah, two thirds, like some insane thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Was Lauren a part of that? Bringing Not, it to the states or no? No, no, no. NBC. That was Brandon Tartikoff's years. He was great, and um, I don't know how all the you know the inner workings right, yeah, happened, yeah, but no we were on does. NBC, and then we were in Edmonton, and. And now people still laugh at the my kids laugh at the at the scene, so that makes me feel good. And when you guys are all working now, it was the writing process a group writing process? How did it work? Was it like you because you had the world? The world was this network. Yeah, the world. And was there network. were there were characters that were there every week. Yeah. in one form or another, but everybody was coming in with these different characters. So was there this process of like, I have a new character, I have a new impression. Uh, why can we integrate this person into this? And how did it work? Sometimes the- it worked like that, and sometimes um, scenes were generated, and then we had to create characters. Sometimes scenes were written, and we had no idea who we were playing, and it wasn't until a wig was on our head and the costume <laughs> yeah. was delivered by Jewel Hallmeyer that we knew who the character was. Sometimes we'd have the wig costume and the scene in the chair and still didn't know what we were doing until another fellow cast member would say, why don't you try it with a lisp? Right. Or why don't you, yeah. So it was a, an enormously, enormously collaborative experience. And I don't, I, I mean that in every morsel of the word. <laughs> Everybody contributed. The cameramen, if they had an idea, we listened to it. The catering people, why don't you try Mrs. Prickly? Why not? It was, uh, we were in a little creative bubble and um, and uh, nobody was wrong. Yeah. Every, you know, we just took, yeah. Um, uh, we anything that made us laugh, Yeah, uh, I think was in the show. We right. had to film 90 minutes. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was. it's interesting though, like at that time that you guys started doing Second City, I mean, where were the, where were the Murray brothers? Had he gone to New York already? I mean, how did that work? Did you remain friends with him? Brian Dormurray or, either of them. or Bill, Bill Murray? Um, you know, I saw Brian Dormurray at Harold Ramis's funeral, sadly. Um, we, there was a lot of a reunion for a lot of people. I haven't seen Bill for a while, but he was a guest on our show. Um, I didn't really know Bill. Yeah. Brian, I knew a little bit better. Right, yeah, yeah, And I'd yeah. done a movie with Brian Duomo with Club Paradise. Oh, yeah, So yeah. we'd hung out in Jamaica for many weeks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> we all like, knew each other after yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. And and so, okay. So after you do seven seasons of that. Yeah. Like a lot of them, that what 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 happened? Where was your career at that well, point? John's career was really taking off. John's career really was taking off more than other people. He really, um, you know, he just... Uh, 
I don't know. He loved the business. He loved having a business sense, creating parts, always had his finger in different pies, or always surrounded by people. I didn't even know what an entourage was. Now I understand that's what was around him. Always people in his office, in his rooms, and people in his car that were just, you know, the taxi driver. Now he's his assistant. (laughs) It was like a world. um, You know, he just was, just celebrated joy. What can I tell you? The galaxy of John. Uh, The galaxy of John. a great way to put it. Yeah. So John's career was certainly with John Hughes, I think, right. was really on his way. Um, and then we were moving to uh, L.A. We were all moving to L.A. Everybody. Yeah. And then, then people started working in different things like Club Paradise yeah. that Eugene was in and Rick and Was myself. that the first movie? What Your first movie here? I want to say the first movie I did here was yeah. called Holy Moses, but I could be wrong. I remember. Wait, was that with Richard Pryor? Or? I can't remember. Lorraine Newman was in it. Yeah. Yeah. Why do I think that? That was a weird the movie. The first movie I did in the United States, no, was a movie called Soup for One, and I can't even remember who was in it. Wait, here we go. Okay. I, I can look right here. Good. Actually, Holy Moses was at least shot. Mm-hmm. In 1980. 1980. Okay, yeah. that's right. Okay. And Soup for One. Yeah, that was... Oh, I remember Holy Moses. Okay. It's a Dudley Moore movie. Okay. Right? Oh, what a weird cast. Look at these guys. James Coco, Jack Gifford, wow. Dom DeLuise, wow. John Houseman. Was that a Mel Brooks movie? No, directed no. by Alan Metter. Yeah. And Richard Pryor played Pharaoh. I kind of remember. I was a tiny little part in it. So you probably didn't even like. No, I, I didn't. No, people. no, I didn't. I wasn't with anybody. Right. Interesting. All right. Then Soup for One <laughs> happens in '82. Okay, there you go. That's making sense. Is it? I had a son in 81, a son in 83. Then I was a mom, 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 mom. We moved back to Toronto. Wait, for who'd a bit. you marry? I married Bob Dolman, yeah. who's a writer who wrote um, Far and Away and. Uh, he wrote... Um, Still Around? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is that darling movie? I can't believe... Ron Howard directed All the Little People. Um, why can't I remember the name of that movie? Over the, was it Over the Rainbow? Or no, it, no, uh, no. Now you got to look it up because okay. we have to say the right thing. Okay. Ron Howard... Willow, Willow. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. And he wrote a, a sitcom for Showtime called Poison that I was in. Uh-huh. I had my own series, very limited for a while. Uh-huh. That's right. I remember that. What was that called? Roxy. Yeah. So you were doing all the things? I was doing things, but there was a it was a time that I was bringing up my kids. So you were focused on being a mom. I was focused but that was, on in between and that was not great. I but was, were you but you liked being a mom? I did, but when I was a mom I was slightly restless and when I was working I was slightly guilty. So it was never a great great mix until they, they went to college. The kids turned out okay? The kids were great. <laughs> And when they went to college, I said, okay, now I can really focus. When did the marriage fall apart? Marriage fell apart in maybe when they were three and five. Oh, really? Yeah, Early? Yeah. Oh. But we're still friends. Are you? Yes. God, yeah. That's... Our oldest son just got married two weeks ago in Sonoma. We were there together. And he just had called me yesterday, you know, two days ago. He's in Sweden teaching a screenwriting class right now. But he called me and said, hey, I saw your article in the LA Times. Congratulations. Oh. You were always friends from the, the get-go of the divorce? Um, it, it was, was painful, mu- but we were always put the kids first. Never was there animosity. That is really the truth. But it was painful, sure. Right, but there's no animosity. There's no animosity. It's different, I guess, when you have kids, you know, because you got to be there for the kids. I don't know if everybody does that, but it was certainly a, a 
priority for us. And that must have helped them out, the kids? I don't, you know, that's a very interesting question. Actually, I don't know if it does. I wonder if the desire to keep something together or intact when it's not intact gives a false message of hope. And I wonder, oh, that's if, interesting. yeah, I wonder if people that just say, "Listen, this is final. We're not going to have Christmases together. We're not going to pretend we're a family because we're not. We're divorced." I don't know if that's easier. Like if the kids understand why their parents aren't together, like yeah. you know, like of course they're not together. Yeah. How could they be together? But if there's still this diplomacy this, yeah, and this yeah, emotion, this dip- yeah, 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 then it's sort of like, why aren't you guys? One hundred percent. And I don't know if we could even describe why, but it it didn't work out, and. uh yeah, but if everybody's okay. I don't know. It's it's a, it's an interesting thing. The the thing that I got the most from writing this book, yeah, was that after all that's said and done, it's authenticity that trumps all. That if you the people that I'm the most attracted to, and I mean people at Starbucks serving me coffee, yeah, if I can see that they're really comfortable in their own skin and what they're giving you is who they really are it's you want to hang out with them and i found after writing this book i couldn't be i didn't know how to fabricate anything i was like gee shouldn't i make this more interesting i i just had to this is whether you like it or not there's funny there's not so funny there's just who i am i just it was that was a gratifying thing for me yeah and i think that like not a lot of times the people who are authentic aren't necessarily comfortable in their own skin but they can't help but be themselves that's good i like that (laughs) that you know because i've I've no, been, and I find that charming yeah. when they say, you know what, I couldn't be less comfortable, uh, but, but at least uh, I'm telling you that. Yeah, no, exactly. I lo- that's, a, that's a great thing. Um, I was talking to a young kid who's auditioning for something. And yeah. he said, I, I'm just really nervous. I said, you know what, I'd go in and I'd just say, I'm really nervous, but here's what I got for you. Yeah. I don't know. I find it refreshing when people do that. Yeah, I do. You? I, I mean, no, I don't I, know. Uh, I'm that guy. So, you are. Yeah, I can't. I, you know, I have a, even when I'm hiding emotions, it makes it worse. <laughs> they, like if I, if I'm hiding anger, it seems like the effect of it is even worse than if I just get angry. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. then, you know, because then people are like, "What's going on? Why is he?" You know, it's better off just saying it. But it's weird because we live in a culture, and I think it speaks a little yeah. bit to careerism in general, and, mm-hmm. and looking back and, and being more decisive is that there is this kind of premium put on, you know, uh, you know, kind of pretending like you have your shit together. Is there? A little bit. There's like, you know, positivity, which I find completely annoying. <laughs> like people who are like, you know, you know, fuck you, I'm positive. That didn't sound very positive. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, but there, there is this sense that. Wow. Because I, I, after talking to so many people in here. Yeah, yeah. There's this idea that you know everything's moving so fast, everybody's so preoccupied with so many things that if somebody is either in pain or, or painfully authentic or or seems to be a, a heavy burden emotionally, even oh. in small interactions, yeah. there's this idea that's sort of like I gotta, you know, I got no time for this. You, you know, I, I you know, I, I hope it works out for you. And and it's always sort of upset me that there is this, there's it's not even repression. It's just this decision that you know this stays inside, this comes out, and I we all make those decisions. I think what here's what I believe yeah. it is, and you tell me if you mm-hmm. if this resonates for you. I believe um, it's a, a question of intimacy. I think what what what. By the way, I'm holding my phone as, yeah. as I talk about intimacy. <laughs> yeah. Thank God I'm not checking my emails. Yeah. I think um, 
with all of social media and with thinking you're missing out on something if you're not checking every second, what it disallows is um, settling in the moment and really connecting on an intimate right. level. And I think when pump, someone's in pain, um, it requires of you an intimate connection. And I think people, one, don't know how to do it. Yeah. And two, they're frightened of their own lack of ability to be intimate. Right. That's what I think. That's interesting. I don't know if that's... It's, it's, you know, you know, you have to practice things. That's right. And if you're constantly thinking, okay, Uh, now let me see, I've got to return that. Oh my God. And then did anybody tweet about the show last night? Look at, I went on a few weeks ago, I was in San Francisco (laughs) doing the Pippin and the theater asked me to sign on Instagram and Uh I didn't even know what that was. So I said, all right, okay. (laughs) And so I'm on Instagram and now I'm like insanely addicted to it like documenting my every move so for in like the first hour I got 200 followers or whatever the hell it was and then I said you know literally my life is too fucking short I'm not gonna do this anymore this is insane like I'm walking down the street I'm on Market Street and I'm like oh maybe with if I put myself in front of the Godiva chocolates I can manipulate a photo and then I can think of a saying should I eat the chocolate I'm thinking what a waste of time how about if I God forbid called my sister and said how are you <laughs> tell me how you're doing yeah. you know so that's what i think you can get really caught up well, and- well i'm telling you man social networking platforms for people who need validation or are a little bit narcissistic it's it's like cancer oh my god you're, it is <laughs> it is you're just gonna eat you up but you how go- about though the the when you sign contracts now from what i hear for network shows they actually have in the contracts and we want you to twitter tweet is, is that what you say well they we, learned their lesson yeah it's weird cuz like what, is that true am i am i fabricating I'm sure it's that in there. Okay. Why, like, because like a lot of times like uh, when you do like something like this which is you know primarily c- computer basing like that like everything's integrated. Yeah. So a lot of times when people, you know, they want you to do something to bring more people to their thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's, I mean, that's sort of the nature of a movie anyways. But but like a lot of times, like people might even hire you or ask you to do something with it being unspoken that you're going to, you know, self-promote. So I guess in a contractual sense that if somebody has some juice on Twitter or juice yeah, in general, yeah, 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 yeah. you know, they don't want to go with the assumption. They want to say like, well, you're going to do this if we do this oh as part of the promotion thing so you are your own publicity machine and they it's it, it is a little Mark, crazy what I'm, happens if you don't do don't it and know, by the way i don't know none you of disappear, my friends you disappear but that, is it true what i don't have one close friend catherine marty eugene none of them have facebook twitter accounts no facebook no really i swear to god they wouldn't know how to. I don't even know how to get how to do it. Yeah. No, I'm telling you. That's it. I, sometimes it's generational, but Facebook generally for like you know, my mother's on Facebook, so like it's a way that people share pictures and things with the family far away. Like it, there is a use is for it? that. Yeah. I don't know about that. Can't you just send them through the mail? The mail? You mean like in the envelope? Yeah. I don't know when does uh, it. <laughs> you can email them. You can scan them and. And email them. That Think might how work. exciting it would be. <laughs> Let's take one second. If a postman what? came up to you, a mailman, yeah. Yeah. and delivered a letter, just think about this. With a picture in it? Yeah. No, I like that. It's nice. It's a little outdated, but it's nice. 
Look, I'm, and I'm saying that I'm not saying that from my own point of view. I'm just saying that to answer your question, I think that you know to really engage with these things, it, ta- it requires maintenance. It requires time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It requires maintaining a presence. And yeah. if you're not compulsive about it or yeah. or needy enough to feel like you have to don't, like that feeling you had with Instagram, that has to drive everything in your life. That that weird sort of like, here's gotta, a, and then I'm going to do the thing. And oh, here's I just a, got an idea. I can tweet it. And but the the flip side of it is you. If it isn't enough to think you're a failure every second, that's completely emphasized. I'm not doing enough if I don't take a, okay, oh, now yeah. I'm walking into Starbucks. What if I took a picture of me with a guy selling me my latte? That would be funny. <laughs> then trying to think of how to be funny around that. And oh my God. Uh, I, and not get paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> Do it all for free. Oh my gosh. Be a genius and provide that content for nothing. Just because like, I want people to see me. Is it or do you think it pays off? What do you think? Well, for like, I think really the yeah, I the, really want to know. I'd love to know the the nitty gritty of what you're getting back. My from personal it. experience is that it it enables me. You know, when you're at a level of of whatever I'm at, you know, I'm not a big star, but you know, I have a thing going. So if I'm going to tour or I'm going to do a date or I'm going to promote a podcast like your podcast, it enables me like Twitter specifically enables a very quick, you know, tap in to people that are uh, that are my fans. So like, you know, if I if I say I'm going to be in Minneapolis, okay, like I can't really count on my notoriety to sell tickets. I can't really count on the club you know, their website. Who the fuck's going to go to a club website? Right, right, right. So, you know, you're really thinking like, well, I, hopefully I'll do a local radio show. I'll promote it on my podcast and I'll tweet it a bunch of times How before I show up. How many people do you have on your Twitter account? Like 400,000. So that, it would seem to me, really pay off. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. I have 22. Maybe two of those people are going to be in Minneapolis. I mean, you know, it, it was seriously, because I wasn't on it for three years. And I, I guess I got to get back on. So... It does require diligence it and does. it does require sort of like, you know, posting funny things and getting people that you know who are who are also have Twitter follow. You no, know, there is a, a process to it. But it and pays it, off. You can see a bit. It can pay off if you, you were diligent and okay. you maintain the relationship. But like anything else, you know, everyone's got a feed. They follow, you know, a thousand people. So you're gonna tweet a little thing and, and maybe they'll see it or maybe it'll run down their feed. It really does it's 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 ridiculous but i do think it makes a difference but then Uh, there are some times where i could announce something on the podcast i can do a radio show in town i could tweet it for a week (laughs) you know i could do local television and then a week later someone go like i know you're in chicago i'm like what do i gotta do you want me to come over you, you email no, me. That is, this is so funny i'm in at the beautiful fairmont hotel in san in in san francisco yeah literally had been on two morning talk shows Pippin was about to open. There was stuff everywhere. Yeah. Just been at the San Francisco bookshop yeah. to do my book. Yeah. And I got in the elevator and the guy said, well, are you retired? <laughs> are you still acting? <laughs> I'm like, no. Thing to say. Seriously, what do you have to do? So this is what else I've learned. That wow, you can't take yourself seriously. It is something else. I because what what are you going to do? It's weird though because like in, in in back in the day when there were three TV networks mm-hmm. and there were primary radio shows in every market, you know there were more people on the same page. Yeah. Like no one can dictate how, what the hell anyone's doing for entertainment or how they're spending yeah. their time. I mean, with the computer, how the hell do you know? Like it used to, when the media landscape was more intimate, it was a lot easier to consolidate 
consolidate attention. That's absolutely right. And it's very tricky now. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and, it, and it can be even somebody like I came to Twitter later. I don't do Facebook at all. And, and I find it annoying. But like for me, it's like, I don't want to do this. You know, what, what do I care? And then you realize like no one's going to do it for you. Yeah, like you, you know, you, you. I guess you can. People hire people, right, to do right. It. But even then, you you can. But it's weird. You have to, you know, in the world of theater and like yeah. Broadway shows and stuff. I think that there is somewhat of a built-in audience. There are people that love that. Yeah. So the people that they're going to market to are the people that would love to see that. But like in a general sense, you know, it's it's really on you. Yeah. I mean, because you know, like if you really think about it, what what a, it's going to be in the, it's going to be in the free weekly. You know, what year is it? <laughs> do you, you you, know, <laughs> you want to do an interview for the free weekly? What the thing that people might read in the coffee shop? Who the hell knows how people get their fucking My information? God, isn't it true? Yeah, and you can't predict what's going to be successful and what isn't going to be Never. successful. So, what's the answer to all of this? In my day, they would say, "What's it all about, Alfie?" Well, I think you know. What is it? Stay busy. That's it. That's Marty Short always says that work begets work. Sure. I mean, and nobody like, cares. It's, it used to be right there. I don't know. That's that. Maybe that's a wrong move. And people are going to think that. Number one, no, that's not happening. Keep well, I think, busy. I well, think that's good. Well, yeah. When I think when you're younger that's and you know you kind of. You, you know, you got a lot of people talking in your ear and about how they're going to they're design your career and what they think you should and shouldn't do. It gets to a point after a certain age where you're like, can, can I just make a living, please? I'd, I'd like to have insurance if that's possible. <laughs> I prefer not to die alone if we can make that happen. Oh, my God. That's so true. Wait, we want so. They've just been dwindled down to the basic thing. Maybe if I could have a dinner with a family member once a year. Yeah, that'd be good. It's not, you know, really, if my kids could call. Yeah. I don't want to impose, but if you might be able to just check in once a month. That'd be nice. Oh, my God. That's so true. But it's weird because when you're in the career that we're in, which are very selfish and self-driven and, and, and has a lot to do with ego, I think we don't like, and I'm saying this, you know, with a heavy heart in a sense that, you know, you, a lot of that stuff drifts away because you, you're looking, I used to do this joke about how I, it took me a long time to realize that Hollywood wasn't my parents. <laughs> that like, that, that's so that much. That joke still works. Of course it does. Yeah, because yeah. there's something really childish about this idea of that type of validation. You know, I'm going to come out, I'm going to be, everyone's going to love me. Yeah, yeah. And then after a certain point, there's, there's a heartache to it. But but I, I think in, in returning back to what we were talking about earlier about life yeah. is that there's no way to avoid that. Yeah. I mean, you can temper that, but that, you know, the, the, that, that, that joy that you're able to experience in a genuine way, you know, comes from that, that realization that it, it all is a little heartbreaking. And there is disappointment, but, but the truth of the matter is, is that if you don't let it consume you, it's very humbling and it makes you appreciate things more. It does. And the other, and I, we just add one thing to that. Not that I can practice it, but the times that I've had absolutely no expectations about anything right. always have been the best. Sure. Or, or or when you genuinely don't give a fuck. How about that? When That's, does that ever happen? It, it happens occasionally. Rarely. Now. It, when it does, it's the best place to be. <laughs> I can't the, even take how beautiful that it's is. It's the best thing. You know what? You, do you like it? Good. Yeah. Whatever. You no? don't. All right. I don't you care. get up here and fucking do it. That's where I go. Really? Because everybody's got an opinion. That's what I love. <laughs> yeah. No, you're so right. When you don't, when you don't care. But what if you have? But I'm going to do the more Buddhist approach, mm -hmm. which is to let go of expectations of hope, despair, disappointment, whatever it is. Maybe I'm going to fail. Maybe I'm going to be successful. If you just well, it's all, doesn't it always come down to this? 
you know. But look, okay. here's the it qu- being in the moment. See, now I sure. feel like this right. interview. Yeah. And, and maybe that's your maybe that's a huge skill set that you have. You're able to really make this so in the moment. I'm never I'm never looking at you thinking he's thinking what he's going to ask me next. So he's glancing. Down I don't have any set. questions. No, no, it's beautiful. <laughs> but, you're you're really you're and that's it's great. So it's, I'll leave here thinking that was a nice way to spend how long we've been talking an hour about. or so. There you go. But but see, but this this adds up to me because like you know in in however you judge yourself. Yeah. I mean, you found. You know the most success on stage, and yeah. and 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 that there's nothing more in, more in the moment than that. True. I mean that is it. Yeah. And and no no matter what anybody thinks about the you know the nature of of Broadway shows or what theater is or isn't anymore or what it used to be, who the fuck knows? The truth of the matter is, <laughs> if you're in a hit show, yeah, people are going to come see it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So. The, but and the, and the bottom line is that you know every night's going to be different. You know whether you know the lines or not. There's an immediate connection, and 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 in it doesn't matter if you've done it a hundred times. I would imagine yeah. that like every audience is that that juice is going to be there. Yeah, and that's you can right. feel it at different levels. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing more present than that. That's so, right. So it seems to me that somebody with your personality, yeah. you've really hit the perfect thing. Oh, that's you know, what, so great. <laughs> whether you appreciate it all the time <laughs> or not. Um, I what do. What the fuck is a movie? You're going to spend six months in a trailer to be in something that might not even make it to fucking theaters i mean how is that anything but torture people love it though of course Steve martin can be in his trailer and write an entire play <laughs> in between takes oh my god i actually have a thing in my book about multitasking how when i was doing 30 rock i said okay today i'm actually going to try to write a chapter in my book while i'm in the trailer even though i know in one second i've got to go out and you know what i couldn't do it because i was thinking i gotta learn my lines what if i don't know my lines i know my lines. i couldn't stop and why did i get but that, on this but that's thing your, but you're that kind of person that's because right. you because you, you 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 got on this thing because some people love the 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 sort of painstaking work of sitting around all day waiting to shoot well, in the tr- that's right so why wow, so not for me yeah but but that's because that's not the kind of people we are you you, you know would like, that drive you crazy yeah i don't know what the hell to do with myself how many times can you <laughs> masturbate you know, <laughs> you know <laughs> wait, wait, wow wait. this has been going well <laughs> you use the m word right at the end oh my gosh but could you do that in a trailer wow that's okay of course, you can do it anywhere. You, you don't want to do it in public, but I mean, you can generally tuck away somewhere and find a place to do that. But I, but I mean, like if I'm in a trailer, it's sort of like oh, I'm going to go over the craft service table again. I wonder exactly. what kind of snacks they have. Hundred percent, so, and you know they're not going to be good. No, no, but you're going to eat them. Hundred you, percent. You're like I'm not going to eat gonna... the chocolate in the nuts, and then like two hours later, you're like, oh, what's a little chocolate? And then like at the end of the shoot, you're ten pounds heavier. You're like, what the fuck happened? You, oh you're... my god, it's so true. Oh my god, we're the same person. <laughs> well, oh geez. Well, at least a sitcom though, you can like, approximate a family because you are playing a family. You're in a family. And also live sitcoms, I think. Yeah. Like I have no experience with it, but I know for myself, and I think this speaks also to the idea of authenticity. Is that you know, like either you're that kind of you know, you're a person that kind of needs to be engaged and and you know like needs to be thinking about stuff and driving yourself crazy you know because like there's something about like if you got a noisy brain like that if you're an anxious fucking like you know needy person like i don't i make i make myself crazy before i go on stage i mean yeah a little bit it's so reassuring and i don't need to like don't you well (laughs) it took i used to be terrified i mean i don't know if you ever experienced that terrified the hell i go over my lines i've done pippin now for 10 months yeah every night i'm going over my lines before i go on because of the fear of like what if i don't know 100 percent. it's horrifying yeah 
But this doesn't terrify you, I bet, does it? To talking to people? Does no, it, no. Once you, you get going, ah. Before I go, before you come over, yeah, were you before nervous? I go over, I'm like, oh my god, it's like she's done so much stuff. Uh, you know, but I do that all the time. But but I know, yeah. you know, in, in talking to somebody, that the conversation is what what it's all about. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be disrespectful and pay short shrift or like, you know, I, I want people to know that you won a Tony Award. I want them to know you oh. won Emmy Awards. Oh. I want them to know that, you know, you are an important person in comedy. But ultimately, you know, that's a sidebar. You know, to me, that that's not the that's not the talk. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know what the hell is going to happen with the talk. Yeah. But but with stage performing, it took me 20 years as a comic. And I'm not even that well known as a comic. I mean, somehow or another, this is what I'm known for now, which is fine. Great. But in the last five years... Like I used to look, I used to walk into a room where I'm going to perform, and I would see the audience come in, and I'd immediately go, like, "That that guy's going to be a problem. Like <laughs> that table is that they're going to be a fucking problem." And that was that's what I go up with. They're not going to like me. Half of these people clearly are not people I would talk to. So how the hell am I going to talk to them? But now, like, it's weird. I don't know what's happened, but I'm grateful for it. Like I'll go to a venue, I'll go to a theater, and I'll be backstage even before the audience comes in, and I'll look at the stage. I'm like, I can't. What do you say? You're I can't like, wait to get out there. Oh, I love that. Like, it's just sort of like- What like, switch that's a, for you? That's so interesting. I'm just comfortable now. I'm you not afraid. Just, I'm not you, afraid. You think, it's, you think it's age, success? What do you think it is? No, therapy? I think that now, like, because- What it, happened? Who's your therapist? I yeah. want to go. Well, what, what really happened yeah. was, you know, because of what I'm doing in here and because of the work I'm doing, you know, this is all very true to me. So, like, I'm, I'm speaking as myself. A lot yeah. of times you do five minutes on television, you do a character here and there, even stand up for years- you know, it was me fighting with myself and fighting with the audience. You just and, you become know, more comfortable with yourself. That's right. Yeah. So, and I know what I'm capable of, yeah. and I know what I can do. I know the the sort of parameters of my talent, and I know that most of the people now are in the room and they know me. Yeah. So it's sort of like, hey, let's let's continue the conversation. Yeah. Good. Right. Fabulous. So it's a relief. Yeah, but I like, think you know what else I think is that, that your point about there's so much out there. You don't know what's going to be successful, what somebody's going to connect to if they even know you. That somehow takes a little of the edge off because now I go and I think, oh, you know, some people don't even know who I am. They're not going to care. They've got other problems. One son's fighting in Iraq. One son right. is is unemployed. They, they've got their own problems. There's so much going on that it doesn't all rest on me, whereas right. it used to feel much more like that because there was less going on. And also you were beating yourself up. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you, you, you somehow framed yourself as somebody that did not succeed in the way you wanted to. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that then then it just becomes, it's hard not to get bitter. So, yeah. you know, fighting bitterness. Yeah, yeah. wow. You, even it's a full-time it, job. Yeah. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. That's more exhausting than tweeting. Yeah, def- oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's why you're tweeting. It's, a, it's the war against self-pity. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! But you know, it's it's funny when I when I've been because I've been doing a lot of interviews yeah. for the book and and you know just so happy to be talking to everybody. Everybody's been really great. And then I after I think, gee, I carried on like I've just so got it together. <laughs> and then I'll go back to my room and I'll be like. <laughs> I'm like the last person that has it together. Why did I ca- carry on? Because in some way, you're an entertainer. <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean? Why? No, because in some ways, Mark, I here's what I've learned. In some ways, I do have it together. Of I course. Mean, yeah, and 
of course there are going to be down times. I've just learned to integrate them. Yeah. This, and that's, I'm sorry to keep going back to my book. It's crazy. So the book's but, great. But, but, that, but um, that's what I found. They, HarperCollins asked me to write a collection of short, funny yeah. stories like I mean, Nora yeah. Ephron and David. Sure. And I started off, yeah. yeah. And then I'm like writing stories about my dad and stories about why I fly to Atlanta to get my hair cut. Because I realized that to entertain doesn't mean that it has to be funny all the time. That to entertain me means that I can tell you honestly that I have fears and anxiety too and it can still be entertaining of and course. so that's what that's um yeah so and also it's go. what fuels you you, you know like to, to be as as dynamic a personality as you are just naturally oh. <laughs> you know on stage yeah. like you know you, you you what we do as artists and, and I'm really wary to even use that word is that somehow or another either you've got to to uh, you know to kind of mine your your panic and anxiety and darkness or whatever into something relatable something you want to be relieved of it with the audience that's a good way to put it you, you know, so like, it's like you're basically saying, I'm up here avoiding me. <laughs> who, who wants in? <laughs> that is so good. I'm up here avoiding me for two hours and 40 minutes. <laughs> Let's Please, avoid. God, yeah, yeah. take this from me. Yeah. Take me from me. Yeah. That's, that's, I, I think that definitely was 100% of how I perform. And now I perform with, listen, I know my truth is your truth and I'm going to share it with you. And together we can be uplifted. Right. It's slightly shifted. Yeah, no, Certainly, for me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I've always been autobiographical. You know, but there was a period, but I never did it like through song and dance. When I was evolving as a performer, I was angry. You were? So, yeah, was that I was your a, thing? Yeah. Yeah. But it was genuine. It's good for laughs too, though. Sometimes. Anger. It got a little heavy with me. You, you oh. know, I think, you know, it took me a long time to learn that uh, they're laughing because they're uncomfortable. They're, oh, they're, oh, wow. Like, like angry, like, like who is an angry, who would you say is an angry comedian today? Well, the curmudgeon is a great comedic archetype. You know, like Lewis Black is a great curmudgeon. Yeah. And, and the crank, like Letterman's a crank. And, you know, there oh, is a line to ride with that. And okay. it's a natural thing. Yeah. I was literally just angry. And, 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 <laughs> It wasn't even an art form. No, no. You were just fucking angry. That's right. Okay. I'm going to drag you through this. And after, you know, 20 years of not building a following, I'm like, maybe I'm not everyone's idea of a night out, you know. People can really relate to that. I love that. Yeah. Well, I found that, like, what's beneath it all is is a certain sadness and there's a certain, uh, you know, vulnerability. You're very sensitive people. But, like, I think, you know, like, you are genuinely a warm person. And whatever hardships you've come through, yeah. you know, that that's just your humanity. So you can't really avoid it. But, you know, song and dance. I mean, see, I can't even like I can't even watch musicals because Be- you're nervous when you watch them. No, uh- because I cry when people sing. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not even they're singing a sad song. There's just something so vulnerable about it to me. Like, you know, you know there was an, an act. I think it's an acting teacher, Stella Adler, I think, who said, um, we and I'm sure it's not her, but I love this. Um, we sing when we can't talk anymore, and the best songs come out of 
do you know I've expressed myself as much as I can and now I'm just going to sing. Yeah. It doesn't, it, it, Interesting. It's, do you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, that's yeah. what I think. That's, yeah. the, that's why maybe you're connected to it. The worst is when I'm going to talk and now all of a sudden I'm going to just take a moment that has nothing to do with what I just said and sing a song. <laughs> it's just like a cabaret act. It's so disconnected, right? <laughs> but when somebody sings some enchanted evening, that's come out of a, a beautiful relationship he's just had with a, the girl yeah, in South yeah. Pacific. Or when I sing in Pippin and I, when Pippin says to me, Grandma, I don't have time for that. And I say, time? Now you listen to me, Pippin. I'm an expert on time. When you are as old as I, my dear, and I hope that you never are. And then it goes on. But that, I think, it comes, I love that expression. Do you understand what I'm saying about that? Yeah, Yeah, that's so... Yeah. And, and and this uh, has this been the most rewarding experience on stage for you? This has been a very re- rewarding experience, yeah. The and show. what are the other uh, big shows that you've been involved with? That you Broadway shows, yeah. Um, uh, Oklahoma and uh, Candide, and my favorite year, and um, a Fiddler on the Roof, and a beautiful play I did with Jeffrey Rush, who studied mime with Jacques Lecoq in okay, Paris, okay. believe it or not, and Susan Sarandon called Exit the King. Oh yeah, um, that was it. that was big. That was that in was New York. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great. Yeah, he won the Tony. For and you were able. To, I imagine that in some of these, I don't know the shows, but yeah. like you know, you're able to work dramatic chops and do like you know. And some of them, Fiddler for sure. Yeah. And this show, which isn't particularly a dramatic show, Pippin, um, we reimagined. So this character, who's um, uh, she's the grandmother. Irene Ryan played it when it was originally done in seventies. It was kind of done vaudevillian, mm-hmm. but I'm now that age, right? And I thought it resonates for me in a much different way. And just because I'm 67 doesn't mean I should be doing a joke about a cliched grandmother. It's right. a, where this is, we're living to be in our 90s. I right. want this to be uplifting and I don't right. want it to be a joke. So right. we reinvented it. And wow. I think it's been really beautiful. Who thought of that? You? You a little bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah That's yeah. great. And well, it, and it could, you know why? That's one of those where you said, I don't, give, I, I don't mean I don't give a fuck, but I didn't. The show didn't interest me. The show interests me, but not that part in it. The way it was conceived interested me. Because you could have swept through it. it, it, it you know, it's it a just, caricature. Caricature, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and highly successful for Ian Ryan. God bless her. But that's look at being at this age when this was written forty years ago. Sixty six was old. It isn't now. Yeah. So it was different for me. And. Um, and so it would have been fine if Diane Paulus, who reimagined this. The director said, that's not how I would have think it. I'd say, beautiful. Then God bless you, and I can't wait to see it, but it doesn't interest me. Right. But she was on, on board, so it doesn't often happen like that, Mark. It's a great gift when a director says, I'm going to listen to everything you have to say <laughs> and show me. And you know what? 98% I'm going to let you do. I mean, it doesn't happen that often. It was very collaborative. Good. That's great. Collaboration, and now it's kind of now it's a theme for this interview, was with SCTV. That's what I thrive on, and I think that's why live performances are so great because it's all, except when I do my one-person show, which is so lonely. But I think... And I could never do stand-up for that. I love the community of actors. I love being back in the green room talking. What did you? That's what gets me going. I started out in children's theater in Maine when I was nine, yeah. and I guess it's in your bones, and that doesn't go it's away. It's a world. Yeah, the the world of theater is definitely a world. Yeah. It's yeah. a community. Yeah, it's a community. And when did now your folks did they get to see your success? You know, I don't. S- 
my mom didn't see so much of it because she died when she was very young. My dad saw it but never appreciated it because I don't think success winning it. When I won my first Tony, he said, now do you think you'll get a break? I don't think he understood. um, He didn't understand. to, To him, you know, he grew up in the 40s and 50s when people that made it were Elizabeth Taylor and Clark Gable and big movie stars. That's, that was his idea of making it. So being on SCTV, certainly, you know, Jesus Christ, none of my friends thought that was funny. Right. When are you going to do something funny? Carol Burnett was funny to him. Right. Um, so That's so brutal because like, I have that with my father too and it's like, and someone was just brought, out, uh, brought to my attention oh. the other day. Yeah. Like I had a guy come to the show. This guy, he's writing a book on shame. And, and and I was on stage the other night on Tuesday. I've been workshopping a bunch of new stuff, and I was talking about my father and about this phone call that I had with my father. My father was that guy. Like, he was that guy where I'm like, you know, he, he, like, no matter what I do, you know, I'll get on the phone with him. He'd be like, why don't you call Bill Maher and see what he did? But in, and, and, and the thing that the guy said to me just the other day, he said, that is shaming. And in that... You know, if that if that cycle has been going on your whole life, how are you ever going to feel like you're good enough or that you're, you know, and that you're up against that? And once, you know, they lose their relevance or their power over you, that that dialogue's internal. It's it's it is. And what else is what's so sad? I went and I hope you will read this when I if you have some time. It's called Why I Fly to Atlanta to Get My Hair Cut. Uh And I think that it will resonate for you because it's all about this. Yeah. And coming to terms with the fact that once that kind of critical dialogue is gone, you actually don't know what, what the do? dialogue is. I'm there. Yeah. So I want you to read that. I will. I, I think will. you read that, read that and also read the chapter called Secrets. And I think that you will, uh, we, we, we don't have to talk about that right now at all, but- um, But there, what did you find? What like, did I find with I my mean, dad? like, well, yeah, well, not with with the idea- that once you identify those internal dialogues, because like I'm, I'm at that point right now. I'm 51, right, right, and right. And I've been doing some reading that's moved me, you know, yeah. some, uh, some about psychology and about who I am, right, right, right. That you have all these patterns, which is actually how you parented yourself. Yeah. These faulty dialogues of I'm not good enough. And, yeah, you try to change them, Mark. I think a lot of it's hard to change, and I think it just has to come with it. Ex- I think you just have to accept it. Sure, I mean, I really but, do fly to Atlanta to get my hair cut. But what is that moment, though, where you're like, w- w- without the dialogue, who am I? What do I do? When you don't have that dialogue with your dad. Or, 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 yeah. Like, who am I really without, you know, without these horrible... Yeah, and where's the and where's the real connection with my dad? Right. Do I need to rely on the criticism to keep us connected and intimate and loving? Is there anything else? Um, I you know I think it's something you just explore and you you find answers. And I don't think they're ever going to be a hundred percent. Here's what we're not going to get: the unconditional love that we wanted. Let's accept it and move on. Good luck. Right? We're not going to get that, but that's Maybe you can okay. Get it on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> but I got a lot from my dad, and uh, sure. and and what I gained was insight. And when you read that, if you, I don't know if you can connect with me through. You can do it through Twitter. Yeah, you can yeah. Give me your info. If you write me or call me, I'd okay. love to know. I'd love to know. Well, why you, do you go to Atlanta to get your hair cut? What's that? Why do you go to Atlanta to get your hair? Because cut? I'm obsessed with my hair. Because my dad could only ever comment on what my hair looked like, no matter what I did. Was, was it, it ever good? It was. It was. It was like, why didn't you get that wig? Why did you have to wear that hairdo? Well, I just. I. I we were in a car, and I said to him, he was in his eighties, and I was in my fifties, and 
um, he said, so is anything coming up? Is anything going to be funnier than I've seen you lately? And when do you think you'll do oh anything funny? And yeah. I said, Daddy, I'm in a movie that I really love. It's called Hedwig and the Angry Inch. And I think it's really going to be a cult classic. I yeah. saw it and I didn't like it, but your hair looked good, he said. <laughs> and I said, you know, for the, it was the first time in my life I ever said to him, you know, that really hurts me, Dad. All the years you've seen me and everything, you've never told me that I was good in anything. And he turned around, looked out the window, and he started crying. And he said, because I don't know about acting, but I know it looks pretty. <laughs> and then we and then we started to talk and and I you know and then I went to Maine to do some research on him and learned much about him that I didn't know before and I don't know it's just you know what are you going to do you keep looking and searching That's wild. That's very touching. Now you got me all choked up. Ah. Well, it was great talking to you. Thank you, Mark. And Wonderful. I, and I wish you the best of luck with the book and with Pippin. And, and I think you're amazing. Thank you. And you seem to be doing great. Right now. They mm. won't be when I get back in the car. Yeah. This is what I'll be doing. What why did I, did I say, say that? that? Yeah. How come I... Why did I... Can I just tell the people how good your hair looks, though? <laughs> My hair doesn't look good. <laughs> Okay, obsessing. That's what I'll be obsessing about tomorrow. Look what oh I my did. gosh. Reopened an old wound. Thanks, Mark. Thank uh, you. It's been so much fun. It has. Isn't she amazing? She's amazing. Am I right? Um, go to WTFPod.com for all your WTF Pod needs. Get the app free, then upgrade to the premium. 550 some odd, 60, I don't know episodes you can stream them all get some just coffee.coop at wtfpod.com you can leave comments on the comment board through facebook so i know who you are if i choose to drop in and read i can see your face and know your name when you dump shit or drop garbage into my comment board but uh on an upbeat note i'm exhausted and i'm working hard and i've been funny things are okay and i'm grateful for that